behind me is just coming together. He's like, wow, what's, what's the Lord going to do? So that's, guys, it's absolutely fantastic. And, um, and, uh, but it's really nice to come to church and find that there are some people here. And not everyone's at their wedding. So it's great that, um, it's great that we can um, gather. And um, we're going to be preaching. Well, we started up a new series called No Retreat, No Surrender, uh, which is a series on Christian warfare. We started that last week. And um, so we're a week two now. If you have a Bible with you, then turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. We're going to be uh, springing out of that passage over this series, but the idea is, is to not simply dig in there, but to use that as a bit of a springboard passage to understand the whole biblical scope of Christian warfare, what it means as a Christian to be in a spiritual war, and looking at that, understanding that, trying to get a, a good understanding of that rather than um, jumping to our own conclusions of what that might mean, either through the history and some of the big mistakes Christians have made and bad things that have been done in the name of Christian warfare. So I just want to really make sure that we get the right idea in there. I'm going to read um, from uh, verse 10 of chapter 6 down to verse 20. This is the classic warfare passage, if you like. So if you don't have a Bible with you, please just um, listen. It's, uh, it's the Apostle Paul, and he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Father, we just thank you for the Bible, for your words. We want to come as those who are under its authority um, today. We pray for the spirit of wisdom to be given to us as we open it up and um, explore all that you're saying through this. I pray for me, help me to get it right. Lord God, help me to be responsible and wise in what I say. Help me to be helpful. I pray, Lord, for all those that listen, that you would give them ears to hear what you are saying. I ask you for that, Lord. I pray ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And I pray for those in the room that maybe would never say they'd never encountered God. Or, uh, I pray, Lord, ears to hear you in their, in their heart in a way they've never had before. I pray for those who have been following you for years. I pray, God, fresh understanding and fresh words of truth and grace to build them up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, just to uh, maybe um, deal with the wrong presupposition about this passage, this isn't really about exorcism. When people refer to spiritual warfare, it's quite easy to get into a mindset of um, exorcism, kind of um, casting spirits out of people and that kind of thing. That stuff definitely happens in the Bible and is a, a part of spiritual warfare, but it's really not the main thing. It's really not the, the, the big deal here. Actually, if you look at it carefully, what, what Paul seems to be saying is the main, his main 
area of warfare is that he speaks about Jesus. Those are Christian, he opens his mouth about Jesus. Um, and I don't know if you're here, those of you that are Christians, you would have definitely experienced the difficulty in talking about Jesus. Whether that is an internal difficulty, something inside where you just go, I can't get the words out, or whether there's an external uh, uh, rules or laws to stop you from doing so. But that is the big deal in spiritual warfare, actually talking about Jesus. Because the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ, the message of Christ. And so the way people get saved, rescued, born again, the way people are reconciled with God, the way they're brought out of darkness and into light is through hearing about Jesus. It's really simple and it's really straightforward, but the battle is fierce to see Christians uh, doing that effectively and doing that well. It's very, very uh, fierce warfare indeed. So that's the general, that's the general context really, and Paul uh, sums the whole thing up saying, pray for me that I might speak clearly. That's encouraging. If you're, and you're a Christian, you think it's only me that opens my mouth and nonsense comes out, you know. Or it's only me that can't quite work out how to phrase it. It's only me that finds it hard. No, it's not. Paul's saying, pray for me. And uh, a good prayer to pray for yourself and for your friends is, give us clarity. If we can just talk about Jesus. Um, it hasn't got to be uh, uh, long words and technical language. Simply speaking about Jesus, God will use that to bring new life to people's hearts. So that's very, very encouraging. Now, again, we're, we're, this is still an introduction week, still just trying to familiarise you with some stuff, broad scope, we'll get into details in the following week, um, the following weeks. But first I want to just start with verse 10 and just uh, look at this phrase, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. If you were to translate that as literally as possible, you'd say something like this, be empowered in the Lord and in the vigour of his forcefulness. Ah, that's kind of dynamic, isn't it? So be be empowered in the Lord and in the vigour of his forcefulness. The call to Christians is to be strong in Christ. It is. It's, the call on Christians is to be mighty in God. Christians are to be mighty. Christians are to be able to overcome temptations and overcome difficulties. Christians are to be supernaturally resilient. And able to go through seasons of trial and difficulty and come through it not bitter. And come through it somehow even more like Jesus. Christians are to be vigorous people. They're to be people who pray with vigour. Who live with vigour. Uh, it's not a Christ-like attribute to be kind of slovenly or to just kind of you know, drag your feet through life. Um, but I want to say this to you. It's really important you get this. All of these things that a Christian is called to be, they are not called to be by some miracle of either finding the hero, you know, inside themselves, or, you know, realising, believing they can fly, or, you know, self-realisation, or, or finding oneness with the universe. Okay, the Bible scorns all that talk, and that whole philosophy, and that whole, come on, you've got it in you, you can do it, believe in yourself. The Bible scorns it. That is not Christian faith. In fact... Oh, maybe it's bold enough to say it's the polar opposite from Christian faith. Christians become mighty, able to overcome, supernaturally uh, resilient and vigorous by allowing their pride, their self-sufficiency, their willfulness to be broken. By, by doing away with that, by turning their back on their own best efforts to please God, by turning their back on this kind of, how can I put it, this very deep-rooted idea that surely I've got it in me. Surely I can do it. Surely I can make it. 
if I try hard enough. It's about turning away from that. It's about actually seeing before God their pathetic weakness. It's about seeing that, coming to terms with that, and then through that, finding strength in Jesus. Really important you understand that. Because you may be as a Christian thinking, how does this thing work? You know, if I'm a Christian, I'm going to kind of live a godly life, and I'm going to say no to sin, and overcome temptation. And what's going to happen? How am I going to do that? Because at the moment, I, you know, that's impossible. Well, that's the whole idea. You come to the end of yourself, and you realize, I can't do this. And then you see Jesus in his glory, and he offers to come and live inside of you by his spirit and empower you. And it's, it's really important you get this right, because... In some situations, even in some churches, what can happen is, is that things can actually become um, just self-help, really. And the people are just constantly told, you can do it. Um, the Bible does not teach you can do it, full stop. It really, the Bible teaches you can't do it, but the Bible teaches that through Him who strengthens you, you can do all things. So there's these polar opposites. You really can't, but through Him, you really can. It's not this middle ground of kind of confusion. So it's important to understand that before we go any further. Now, you might struggle to hear that because it hits right to the heart of pride, human pride, where you sort of thought, oh, I thought I was okay. I thought I wasn't, you know, I thought maybe, you know, I could sort of contribute in some way. And me and, you know, me and God together, I want a team. It's kind of, that's ambiguous. I get that, but that's not the root of foundation of how it works. The foundation is you fall on the Lord. Cry out for mercy and grace and all of that. And then from that point, he does definitely draw you up into teaming it with him and co-laboring with him. But all the strength is his. Yeah. So he gets all the glory. You're very aware the whole time that this is a little bit naughty, really. It's a bit you're, like you're cheating a bit. You think, wow, I'm doing things for God. And it's kind of amazing. But really, it's because I'm just leaning so hard into him and drawing on him. That he is empowering every gift and talent that he's given me. And uh, making it work by the Holy Spirit. So it's really important that we see that and um, that we embrace that and that we don't fight against that because um, that's, that, that's, that's biblical truth. Um, so we just want to kill that whole idea that church and church culture, kingdom of God culture, is based on performance. It isn't, it's based on the grace of God. Anyone want to say amen to that? Amen. That's big enough to say amen to it. It really is. Okay? It, there, there's nothing worse than legalistic Christianity, there's nothing worse than a situation whereby really kind of what's happening is that everyone's feeling it's really, really driven to kind of prove something to themselves, to God, to other people. It's horrible. You cannot sustain something on that. Sooner or later, that thing will just crumble. Uh, the foundation we're building is the grace of God, where he has given himself to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all that we are not, he has become for us. And all that we lack, he has given us. And out of that place of absolute grace and mercy, we begin to learn how to walk with. That's, that is the only real foundation for the Christian world. If you're built on anything else, then over time that, it will become apparent. And you'll either, what you're building just becomes kind of crooked or crumbles in the storm. Only the grace of God is sufficient. Okay? So that, I wanted to just highlight that to you. Also remember just last week, just, just emphasize again what we looked at. We focused on verse 12 last week, which says, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities. Now authority doesn't mean governments. It doesn't mean... Corporations is talking about clearly it's talking about spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's talking our, our, our warfare is not against other people, but it's a spiritual situation. The word wrestling is used, which makes you realise its proximity. I was doing wrestling last night with the kids. We did we did tag sumo. Tag sumo is great. We got a round rug in the sitting room, and the idea with what we do sumo is like. You just got to get their limb or something off the rug, then you've won. We do tag sumo, so me and Melody against Daisy and Levi, and uh, 
So when you're in trouble, you tag, you tag your opponent, bang, that one comes in and you and fight. It was, a, it was wild, it was crazy. It was sweaty, it was smelly, it was like, oh, you know, someone's, oh man, like someone's sitting on my head. It was kind of like that. That's wrestling. I'm sorry to break it to you. That's wrestling, and that's the word Paul used. It's, there's proximity. It's not like we've got this cannon and we can fire this far, and your Mars over there. Well, let's get the range and the trajectory. Okay, fine. No. We wrestle against principalities and powers. It's real. It's close. If you've been a Christian, you'll understand this. If I talk about oppression, inexplicable oppression, when you're just going to come do something for the Lord, or you're about to pray, or you know, you're just looking to just, just live for His glory, but there's just a cloud of oppression around it. And you think, it's inexplicable, you can't put your finger on why, there's no reason, everything's going fine. What is that? Very often it's demonic. It's because you can't see it. Just because there's no little you know, figurine on your shoulder with kind of horns and a tail. You, you know, don't let that idea sh- under- shape your understanding of spiritual warfare. Much more subtle than that. You've got to understand these things. Or just discouragement. You know, you just, you just, you just feel filled at times with discouragement or confusion. Remember, we looked at this, didn't we? And what happens in wrestling is these things that happen, you know, there are these moves that are made to try to disable you and paralyze you. Other times there are just, just hits to try and disorientate and hurt you and make you think, wow, I'm not going to go in again. You know, and then there's plain old intimidation. All of these things Satan will use. Um, but due to our union with Jesus, we will not be overwhelmed by them. That's what the Bible teaches. His victory becomes our victory. That's, that is essential to spiritual warfare. I'm talking about weakness, and then I'm saying, we're going to win against the powers of the devil. You say, how, how? Because Jesus Christ has won. We are in him. His victory becomes our victory. As we stay close to him, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Amen. That's the biblical message. There's a term that theologians use called Christus Victor. And um, Wikipedia describes like this, the term Christus Victor refers to a Christian understanding of the atonement which views Christ's death as the means by which the powers of evil which held humankind under their dominion were defeated. The powers of evil have been defeated by the death of Jesus. Now, we, you, you can't just move on from that, because there will be people sitting in this room thinking, I can't overcome that evil habit. I can't overcome that evil um, scenario. I, can't, I find myself trapped and gripped. What's the way out? The way out is this, Jesus' death on the cross. You might say, well, I, I believe in Jesus' death on the cross, and yet still, I would say, press further and further into Jesus, into the gospel. The Bible does not promise that you will overcome every bit of darkness and temptation overnight. It promises us a journey from one degree of glory to another. But that journey is walked by pressing more and more into Jesus, by being willing to uh, just throw ourselves into him more and more as the years go on. And in doing so, his victory increasingly breaks into every part of our thinking and experience. I'm not speaking about a Christian life that is trouble-free, pressure-free. No, no, absolutely not. There will be some... Hard, close, fighting proximity. But through it all, you will watch. As you stay close to Christ and keep believing and trusting Him, you will find a trajectory of victory. You will. I could list things, just one after another. Jesus brought me through. I can also still list things. I'm thinking, that's still not so good. Yeah? Still struggle there. That one, it's been a while, that one. But because of my history with Jesus, I look at that list and I feel with confidence. Yeah? That's how it works. So it's important to understand that, that um, 
I mean, at the darkest point in human history, when Adam and Eve messed up, Jesus promised, God promised that there would be one born of a woman who would crush Satan's head. Okay? So Christus Victor promised right in the darkest moment of human history, there's a sun ray of redemptive hope coming through. Listen, there's one coming who will win, who will fatally, uh, fatally wound the evil one. And then on a dark day in Jerusalem, when the sky went black at midday, it happened. Jesus Christ, wounded desperately on the cross. But in that wounding, defeated Satan. And the Bible describes Satan now as defeated, but not yet destroyed, but defeated. And that his wrath is great because he knows his time is short. He knows he can't win. He knows he can't win. He knows he's been defeated. Uh, but the fight is still on. Today, we are going to focus on verse 11 and 13, which are similar verses. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Christians, you're called to stand. You will be stood against. You will be opposed demonically. You are called to stand against that standing against and not crumble. I'll say that again. You are called to stand against that standing against and not crumble. You, you are not to be overcome by disorientation, confusion, or discouragement. You are to face it, and then in the full armour of God, stand against it, and stand and stand and stand. And once you've done all to stand, it's not complex. It's the good thing about it. You just stand, and you stand and you stand, and in doing so, there will come a point where that particular attack, that particular assault, will leave, and you move on. you crumble under it because you're either complacent or you just, you know, you, 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 you thought life was a joke or whatever, and you just weren't ready, you crumble under it, you have not lost your salvation, okay? You still belong to him, yeah? But he's going to want to pick you up and say, we've got to work because I've called you to overcome. I've also teach you how to overcome. So you're called to stand and not crumble. Today we're going to look at the schemes of Satan. The word there is methods. That's the word. That's what it means. Satan has methods. We looked at the wrestling allegory uh, illustration last week. I want to dig in a bit more and say, what are his actual methods that he uses? And um, I want to show you in a broad way, from Jesus' experience, three methods of Satan, and what Jesus did to overcome those, and then, um, and then out of that, we will just apply it to our own lives. So, method number one of Satan is deception. If you've got a Bible, you want to turn to Luke, you don't have to turn to it, you can just listen if you like. But we're going to go to Jesus when he's tempted in the wilderness. Um, and we're going to look at three uh, scenarios where Jesus encounters Satan um, over, over this afternoon in the message. And I'm going to show you three methods of Satan through it. Number one, he wants to deceive you. He, he wants to get you to believe things that are just not true. Most of the warfare goes on in there, guys. You've got to understand that. It's... Your understanding of who God is, who you are, what life's about, that has a huge impact on the kind of life that you live. In fact, everything comes out of that. Everything comes out of your affections, your attitudes, your perceptions. And so if Satan can influence and do what he can to just mess your head up, then he can really render you uh, much slower or much weaker than you need to be and then how God would have you be. So let's look at what happens with Jesus. He's in the wilderness. He's just been baptised. You know, I mean, it's quite a baptism, really. There's a voice from heaven. The Spirit descends on him in bodily form. I mean, it's amazing stuff. He gets affirmed, you're my son, whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. And then the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. 
And so let's read Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For 40 days he being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry, understandably. The devil said to him, if you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it's been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself from here, for it is written. So now Satan's quoting scripture. He's, he's understood, I understand how it works. Okay, so now Satan's quoting scripture. He'll command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they'll bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now look at what's going on here. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. He's hungry. I guess there's a sense of vulnerability. I don't know about you and fasting, but you know, I fast for an hour, and I'm thinking about food. And so Jesus fasted 40 days, and Satan comes in with the, turn the stones to bread if you are the Son of God. What's going on here is certain deceptions. Okay, so Jesus is hungry. When you're hungry... Food can seem like everything, can't it? Do you want to experience that? You know, I mean, not even if, like, I don't know how to put it, it's, it's a hugely psychological thing. I, I, if I normally have breakfast and I'm having lunch, between breakfast and lunch, it's no big deal. If I have breakfast and then I decide to fast lunch, by like half nine in the morning, I'm like, oh no! You know, my stomach's kind of gurgling away, I'm like, this is really bad. Just, is there, there's so much in there with eating and food, and, and so obviously Jesus has been fasting 40 days. And so Satan's deception here is this. He wants Jesus to find his sufficiency simply in the physical. Maybe this is you. Maybe you think if you eat enough good food, buy enough nice clothes, have a nice enough house and earn enough money, it's going to be okay. It's a deception. It's an absolute delusion. Jesus, Jesus spots it straight away. If you're the God, turn the sun into God. I mean, come on. Because you know, you know what, the, what the deception is by Jesus' response. It's written, man shall not live by bread alone. Physical food is it's not enough. Same so as Jesus said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Good food and stuff will not lead to life. Jesus said, I have come, you might have a life in all its fullness. There's a spiritual component to mankind that cannot be satisfied except by being reconciled to God. But Satan will, Satan will say, well, yeah, okay, but look, come on, no big deal. Anyway, when you pray, sometimes it's so hard, for goodness sake, you know, maybe you know, God's not even that interested. I mean, but you know what? You can make a really nice sandwich in five minutes. You can pray and wait on God, like, I don't know, half an hour, you know, you, know, you, might, you might even feel at the end of it, you didn't even connect with God, it may not even be an amazing time. But you know what? Your fridge is just there. And you know what's in there. That stuff from Easter. Still you know, and it can just, and it can now, Easter eggs are fine, I know what I'm not saying, okay, but there's this sense in which one of Satan's things will try and get you to find your sufficiency in just what is physical. It's just this delusion that people swallow it all the time. You know, one of the things we most don't like about watching TV channels with commercials is the kids are like, oh, I really need that, Dad. It's like, you never even thought of that, you don't even like that stuff, but you've just been told, this is what you need. It just goes on and on and on. And obviously, in you know, the materialist consumer culture, it's a huge one. Satan is definitely behind it and uses it. 
And then there's the next uh, temptation, really, where um, he says this thing, you know, uh, just worship me and I'll give you, I'll give you the lot, I'll give you, I'll give you everything, all, all the glory and all that. Now, the interesting thing is this, is that he's actually Jesus' destiny to all the nations. So Satan was promising something that's actually his destiny. The Bible says that he will rule all, he will rule all the nations. And really Satan's saying, look, there's a, there's a kind of shortcut here. You haven't got to go through the cross and all of that. I'll give you all of this stuff. And the, really the deception here is it's basically just worship whatever will most suit your aims. You, you keep worshipping God, you've got to go through the cross. You worship me, we get it shortcut. We get it simple, straight away. It's all yours on a plate. You can avoid the hardship. You can avoid the difficulty. You see, that's, that's what it is. It's like, oh, man. That's the temptation, actually. Imagine that. If your aim in life is to achieve something other than the glory of Jesus, if that's your aim, then you, in some senses you're a bit vulnerable because, you know what, Satan could kind of offer it one way, but kind of bypass the difficulty of the life of being a disciple. And that could really, that could really get, get your attention. If your goal is Christ. And um, within that, you can want to do this and dream about that, yes. But ultimately, if your goal is Christ, you are very safe. You're very safe. Because you, actually, fundamentally, you're about him and honouring him. And so you won't give way to this. But that's definitely a delusion you'll want to bring into your mind. Make you think like, you can achieve all your aims. But really, you know, you haven't got to worship God at that. Watch that one. And then there's this final one, which is about, uh, or Jesus, well, Jesus answered, sorry, Jesus answered the second one. Again, just quote the scripture. And then this third one is this. This is really tricky, this one. Make God do some stuff to prove his love for you. Jesus, go away, jump off there, and then watch, because the angels will catch you, and then you, you really know, you know, you really know God really loves you, he really is with you. So do some stuff to prove God loves you, you know. Basically put God to the test. Say, God, if you do that and you do that, then, then I'll follow you. Um, then, then, okay, fine, but if you don't, then it's not happening. Or, Lord, you give me this when I want this, or, you know what, I'm going to just retract in my heart, yeah? I'm, that Satan would love to get you to do that. To just give God some conditions. If he doesn't do it, you just get the hum with him or you just back off or you stop running or whatever. You know, you, something in your heart pulls back or gets hard. You, you, you're giving way to satanic temptation. It's, it's delusional. It's wrong thinking. Jesus deals with it again. It said you shall put the Lord your God to the test. Now what did you just notice this one? Every time Jesus responds with scripture. Every time. He doesn't start counselling with his emotions. How do I feel? <laughs> How do I feel at the moment? How do I feel about this? He's ready with the scripture. And if you're a sensuous Christian, a Christian who really lives by your feelings alone, and you just try and engage what God's saying by what you feel, because you really don't know the Bible. You have not, you've not put the time in. Now, I'm not saying you've got to know the Bible off by heart, but Bible study is important. And if you don't know your Bible, then, then what will happen is, is that you'll tend to default to just, um, whatever I feel, and hoping that's the Holy Spirit. But if you don't know your Bible, then you're, you're in trouble at that point because actually, what's to say what you're feeling is or isn't the Holy Spirit? How do you know whether it's the Holy Spirit? By gauging it up against the plumb line of the Word. So it's really, Jesus here, he's, he's not got a Bible. It didn't exist. Scrolls, there would have been scrolls in the synagogue and stuff. He hasn't got scrolls under his arm. He's hidden the Word in his heart. Yeah, so he's, he's ready. He's ready with the sword. So, number one, delusion. Number two, distraction. Let's go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. Now this one's really close to the bone. I mean, man, this one is, as I've pondered this, I've thought, wow, this one is really, really quite telling. Matthew 16, 
verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, what's so hard about this is that, number one, it's satanic. And number two, it comes through a really well-intentioned person who really loves Jesus. That's what's tricky about it, you see. So, and that's why it's, oh, oh we've got we to just be aware that this can happen. Someone who loves Jesus, with good intentions, who is for you, can say something that actually, out of those good intentions, unwittingly, totally distracts you from the purpose of God from your life. Now, I don't want to make you paranoid. So let's just make sure we keep you from that. Jesus knew he had to go to the cross. He knew that was God's purpose for him. Okay? So it's not like, you know, someone says something, you're thinking, oh, I wonder if that's going to distract you from God's purpose and get really complicated about it. Okay? Know the things that God has called you to. He's called you to holiness. It's called you to live with a pure heart. It's called you to go and be a filled with the Spirit. It's called you to love brothers and sisters. It's called you to be committed to your local church. He's called you to these things. It's clear. It's in the Word. Someone who loves Jesus and who loves you can undermine those things. At that point, you have to be... You, you can't... What, you must engage, is it satanic or isn't it, by who says it. That's the key. You've got to gauge it by what's being said. Imagine if, Peter, imagine if Jesus engaged it by who said it. Oh, it's Peter. I've just said he's going to leave the whole thing. I mean, literally, before this, there's a conversation where Jesus says to Peter, you know what, you're going to, you're going to leave these guys. And, and so, you think, actually, if Jesus engaged it, well, actually, it can't be wrong. Maybe I've got it wrong, because Peter, no, he knows what God has said, and as a result, even though it's his trusted, beloved, you know, friend, and this uh, sort of one who's going to help lead the church, he says, actually, it's what you said is totally out of line with what God has said. Now, Jesus gets to be able to say things like, get behind me, Satan. Now, I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't recommend doing this if someone that you love said this to you. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe under extenuating circumstances. Do you know, but don't get into this. Don't become the person who goes around saying, you know, it's recorded once. Uh, you know, I just want to, but, but within that, be, be sensitive to the fact that that can happen. And be as resistant to it as Jesus. Be as resistant to it. He did not give it an inch. Why? Here's why. Because it could have seduced him away from the cross. Be given that blood. Oh, oh, wow. Do you know what? Someone who's trusted and, and, and godly has kind of said that I haven't got to have the hard bit. Oh, I like that. Know what God has said, and do not allow yourself to be distracted. So, finally, destruction. So, deception, distraction, they don't work, the gloves come off. <laughs> Very often. So, uh, in John 8.44, Jesus says this to the Jews. He says, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and has nothing to do with the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Wow. 
You know what the devil's like? There he is, 844, Gospel of John. He was a murderer from the beginning. Now these Jews at this point were starting to plot his demise and starting to find ways where they could um, corner him and, and kill him. Jesus spotted it, he knew it, and he, he said, it's satanic. It's a satanic what you're doing. And um, now we just need to be careful with this and make sure everyone doesn't sort of freak out. It didn't succeed until the right time. There were other times they picked up stones to throw at him. They took him to the edge of a cliff to throw him off. But they never succeeded. And frequently the gospel writers will say, because his time hadn't come. So even satanic attempts to destroy people will not be successful if your time has not come. Your time is in God's hands. You are invincible and immortal until God says time. Okay? So you haven't got to live in desperate fear of that. But you just need to be aware that if people do turn against you because you're a Christian... You mustn't see it as the absolute worst thing in the world. Now, I say that with sensitivity. I know it's hard, but it doesn't necessarily mean you've done something wrong. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're kind of really acting weird and that's why. And no, sometimes Satan, where deception and distraction doesn't work, will the next stage will be that some people will really start not to like you. And even plot your demise. It might not be actual murder, but it may be that, you know, rumors, spreading rumors or false accusations. This stuff happens. So you've got to be ready for it. If it happens, don't crumble. Don't crumble. Get wisdom, get advice, get counsel, get close to God, pray with people, but don't crumble. Because you're in a war. And every now and then, one of the big guns gets aimed at you. Every now and then, one of the really big guys jumps in the ring. Every now and then, a little guy tags the big guy. And, you know, I mean, when Melody tags me, Daisy Levi scream at that point, okay? Melody can just get to me, because the rules I've got to stay out of the chair, I can't, I've got to hold my hand out. She can just get to me. She slaps me, and then whoever's fighting her will go, ah! Like, suddenly, you know, I'm on, I'm on the rug, and I just sort of jump on the land, you know. So the big guy gets in the ring, and I'm not a big guy, but compared to them I am, you know? I'm gentle with them, by the way, just for you. I'm not, I'm not getting kicked out of this game. No. But there can be those moments where suddenly it just steps up a gear, and the big guy's got in the ring. Yeah, at that point, it's happened under the sovereignty of God. He is bigger. He is much bigger than any enemy that you could ever imagine. To tell the truth, the deception was really about destruction, just slower. The distraction was about destruction, but slower. He's about destroying. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so you've got to see him behind the sin. There's a lot of pleasure in a lot of sin. But there's no true happiness in it. It destroys. It robs. It kills. It breaks relationships. It leads to regret. It leads to saying things. You think, I can't believe I said that. Yep, seriously. You go behind it all, it's dead. It is dead. So our response is what? To sum up, Paul is very clear. Put on the whole armour. Put it all on. That you may be able to stand. So the inference is, you put all the armour on, you stand. There it is. You put it all on, and you stand. So it's like, don't be cocky. Don't think you can figure it out. You can find a way through. Maybe you want to speak, you just land on your feet through life. You get people like that. Don't lean into that thing, I'll be fine then. No, don't do that. You'll get hit. Don't be, don't be sloppy or casual. Don't be complacent. Don't be proud. Be humble. Be humble enough to 
draw on God. Be humble enough to say, Lord, I need, your, I need to just be armoured and told up. Now, don't get into a paranoia of, oh, I think I've got my shield, I've got my breastplate, but then I put my hat on. We're not going to do that, okay? Even the whole series is not going to be like that, okay? Because this item of armour, there's another list of armour in 1 Thessalonians, it's different. Okay, so it's not like, it's the belt of truth. No, the truth is the belt. It's not the helmet. It's the, no, it's truth is the big deal. It's not whether it's a hat or a belt. That is really besides the point. Paul is making a big image of a soldier. He's not wanting to do a scene where you suddenly, you know, you're on your way to work and you thought, I definitely tied the belt on in prayer. And I, you know what? I didn't, I just, I forgot, didn't put the hat on. I'm dead. I don't want, we should not be living like that. That's superstitious. It's kind of weird. No, 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 no. What you're doing is this. You're looking at the things. The truth, the righteousness, the salvation. So when, when we itemise it week by week, we won't be itemising the helmet. We'll be itemising salvation. Okay? Because we really want it to remain sane. Um, <laughs> so we'll be looking at these things that are very precious and very, very important. And through that, developing a holistic understanding of all that God has given us in Christ and all that he provides for us, so that we are able to stand. So, I'm going to conclude now by just walking you through how it starts, spiritual warfare, by getting saved. By moving from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. If you're here and you're not a believer, you, you have not been reconciled to God through Jesus, you've not, how can I describe it? You've not, in your own heart, submitted to the Lordship of Jesus over your life. And the Bible says at the moment you are captive in the kingdom of darkness. Okay? So the Bible describes it. It doesn't describe it as kind of neutral. It says, no, you are captive to sin and to the power of darkness. Jesus came to rescue you from this. Okay? And he did all that needs to be done to rescue you through his life, death, and resurrection. He's done it all. He's paid the price. The debt has been cancelled. He's nailed it to the cross. He's disarmed Satan. The one who keeps you in captivity, Jesus is defeated at the cross. Okay, the prison door's wide open. He's saying, come, just come. You can come. How? Just, just repent of your sins. Say, Jesus, I'm going to turn away from all that and I'm going to follow you. And I receive your free gift of eternal life. That was just, just coming near to Jesus and turning away from sins and then being baptised just to say, I've done with the old and I'm living for Jesus now. Your discipleship journey has started. That's you, that's what, that's what, don't worry about all the fighting and wrestling now. That's the first thing, come to Christ. He's done it. Okay, come as we, as we gather together now to sing and worship and take the bread and take the wine. Come in and come and find me and say, Steph, I, I want to come to Jesus. I'll pray with you. We'll just introduce you to him and you can just, you know, just give your heart and your life and submit to him. And you can start that journey today. You can leave here knowing, knowing you've been transferred to the kingdom of life. Okay, once that begins, once, you, once you're in, in, in the kingdom, then it's just... It's not rocket science. Just get into the Bible. We can help you with a good place to start. Get around Christians and pray and just look to live for Jesus. See, once you once you welcome Jesus into your life, once you've submitted to him and believed on him, he, he, he fills you with the Holy Spirit. So things just aren't the same anymore. I mean, just, things are just different because the Bible says that you, you're a new creation. You're, you're different. You wake up the next morning and you know, whether you've had an amazing, dramatic experience or not, you know, I'm not the same. I want to just know him better now. I want to follow him now. And so from that point on, the, the power of God is at work in you. Is that cool? The power of God is at work in you. So because the power of God's at work in you, as you let the power of God just change you and work with you, then you know, then, then you'll come to maturity. 
And God will use other people, other Christians in your life to encourage you and help you. But fundamentally what's going on is God's indwelling you. He's making you brand new. And, uh, and, and throughout becoming familiar with God and just learning to walk with him and giving me a heart and learning to hate sin and learning to love righteousness and holiness and, um, and give, giving time to stuff that's good for your soul and all of that, you, you, you'll be, you'll, you will be armed for the Christian fight. Um, that's it. I mean, we're going to look in a bit more detail over the weeks because it will be helpful. But really, that's it. That's really it. Walking with Jesus. He loves you. He's a light. Amen? Yeah. Amen. I don't want to do, I just feel it might be a good idea to do a couple of minutes on any QA that's come out of that because I know there's something for some people to be like, hold on a minute, when you said this, did you mean this? So I just want to help you, then we're going to see. Wait, wait. Anyone got any questions? Hey. Okay. So if you don't stand under, under warfare and you get hit, and but I said you want to lose your salvation, what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Um, when you become a Christian, you become a child of God, right? So imagine my children, um, they, they, maybe, let's imagine days in September, you start in secondary school. And I give her some tips and say, do you know what? There'll be a few people that might be like this, just look out for that. I'll just give her some advice. She's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah? Goes to school, all goes wrong. Because she hasn't listened. She comes back, she's, you know, dragging her feet a bit, discouraged, disheartened, or whatever. She's still my child. I don't say, well, there's your suitcase, as a result. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I think she's a bit mature, she's going to learn from that. So, you know, but, but she'll need to, you know, I'll be lo- I will be looking for her to s- some sort of admission that, you know what, I had a part to play in that, I'm going to listen to what you said. So, you know, so in, that's what I'm saying. Um, I'm saying that you don't suddenly become a castaway. Um, I would say, if as a mature, as someone who's been a Christian a long time, and you actually are stubbornly refusing to be teachable, and listen to God and learn, and you keep falling down the same pits and the same holes, because really you don't want to learn, and you're proud, and you're stiff-necked, and you've got a bronze forehead, and no matter how many people get around you, and try and encourage you, and help you, and do you good and pour their life out for you and all of that and you still refuse to listen, there does definitely come a point where you shipwreck your faith. I don't even know what it is, but the Bible talks about it and you don't want to do it. Yeah, so, but that, that is as a result of kind of belligerent, brazen disregard rather than immaturity. So I learned, we're all, we're all, you know, what does James say, we all stumble in many ways. We, we make mistakes, but that's different from having a it's okay. Cool. Anything else? Yeah. So. Uh, you're talking about uh, Satan taking people's lives and attempting to, and mm. when someone dies, it's God's plan. Do you think that every single person who dies is that God's intention to take them, even under the most horrific circumstances, um, how they are, you know, Sure. Am I saying it's God's intention? Whenever anyone dies, am I saying, therefore, that it's their time and it's God's intention? It's a tricky one, that, isn't it? Because fundamentally, ultimately, you have to say yes, ultimately, because if you don't, then that leaves you with a God who isn't sovereign, yeah? By the same token, am I saying that it's God's perfect will for, you know, um, some people to attack a village and kill everyone in it? No, of course I'm not. It's terrible. It's horrific. It's satanic. 
So that's the tension you have to live with as a Christian, that terrible things happen that are definitely outside of the perfect will of God. And yet, that, but then even when you, you acknowledge that and you realize that and you, you look to change that and you're looking to bring transformation through preaching the gospel and praying and all of that, at the end of the day, you still do recognize all of these things happen under the permission of God's sovereignty. If not, that raises actually even bigger questions. It raises questions like, does he rule? And if he doesn't rule, then that raises some really big questions about how he said it's going to end. Because does he really know and can he really make it end that way? And so actually the whole foundation crumbles. So that's part of the Christian life is recognising those two things and holding them together. About putting God to the test. Yeah. Um, so some Christians have like expression about like laying up police before the Lord. Yeah. Like Gideon is all. Yeah. Do you, like, how does that? Yeah. Okay. The last question. So... Testing the Lord and laying the fleece before the Lord. What's laying the fleece? Well, there's a guy called Gideon, and God called him to do something. He was really scared and thought, is this really God? So he said, he said Lord, I'm going to lay a fleece out. If in the morning all the ground's wet and that fleece is dry, then I know it's really you. That happened. Then he said, well, just a double check. I'll, I'll do it once more. And if the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, then I really know it's you. That's a bit strange, really. But God honoured it and spoke to him through it. And so Christians can get in the habit of laying fleeces. Now... Every now and then, if you feel maybe God is asking you to do something that you think that's really incredible, is God really asking you to do that, it could endanger my life, etc., 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 then it's okay to lay a fleece. Literally or not. Yeah? It's okay. But to live your life constantly looking for God to give, uh, uh, give hints and signs that He really does love you, really is for you, when the Bible clearly says... He has demonstrated his love once for all while we were sinners. Christ died for us. You're moving away from the foundation of the gospel. You're developing quite a superstitious approach to the Christian life where you're constantly looking for little things to, to help you out. Um, things that are actually unnecessary. Yeah? Or you're holding God to ransom. You're saying, Lord, I'm going to do this now. And if you don't come through when I do this, then that just, you know... Then, well, you know, I'm not sure we're still walking together. And it's just kind of creating an agenda, a schedule, and making God submit to it. That, that's all wrong. So it's not, he's, he's in charge and we submit to it. Okay. Great. Good. Okay. Now, raise more questions than answers. I don't know. But um, obviously, you're always really happy to catch up and talk these things through. Um, I don't pretend that they are. All of them are very, there's mystery in it. Um, and in spiritual warfare, there is real mystery in it. Why God would even allow Satan and women to kiss him, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. Um, but I know, I do, I believe, absolutely convinced that on the final day when every wrong is made right, when Jesus returns and Satan and his demons are thrown into the lake of fire forever, every wrong is put right. When those who have come to Christ for salvation have every tear wiped away, there's no more pain, mourning, or death. We live in the new heavens and the new earth together. Um, when, when, when God judges the wicked, when those people that you know attack that village and kill those children or whatever and haven't repented are judged for that, there will be universal rejoicing among the people of God. And we will say, God, you didn't get it, there's something you didn't see, but now we absolutely acknowledge you are totally right in all your ways. And you're part of the on finding out that you are the great king of all that you down before you. So I'm absolutely convinced of that. Let's pray. Maybe Sandy uh, Julian can. Come up, and we're going to take bread and wine. And I can say, if you want to know Jesus, you want to know Christ, you know, today, today, you just, the Holy Spirit's just shown you, ah, you get it. I'd love to pray with you, or maybe just pray with a friend you can, but listen, today's the day of salvation, yeah? There's mercy today. There's mercy today. Make the most of it.
receive that from God. Let's stand together.